0: John chapter 5, uh, we've covered several lessons now in, in really what Jesus has preached on. And for the most part, so far, He's covered how Christians ought to live and how it applies to us. And, and really, we've covered some things that maybe off the tongue don't sound right, but when we look further into them, if God said it, He meant it. And by God, I'm speaking directly of Jesus Christ. If He said it, He meant it. And so we've learned some lessons from Him. Now tonight, it's very much of a different sermon. I'm not saying it doesn't apply to us, because the truth on this page and and what we're going to talk about tonight applies to each and every one of us. But He's not necessarily talking to us. And so it's kind of a unique thing, but we find ourselves in John chapter 5. Um, it's kind of unique because I don't think I've ever gotten the uh, platform before about uh, 7 o'clock. Tonight it's about 6.52 and this is probably one of the shortest sermons that I'll ever preach to you. I, I just don't. <laughs> so you're going to be out of here probably at 7.56. So that's good for you all. But uh, no, uh, we'll be out. We won't be long tonight. I do want to talk to you a little bit, first of all, about respecting the Word of God when we read it. You know, there's a lot of churches that stand and reverence the Word of God. And you know, I was watching today, I was watching the Ranger Game while studying, that's why it's a short sermon. But uh, I I was watching the Ranger Game and they did something in the seventh inning, everybody stood when they sang God Bless America. They honored the Word of uh, just our national anthem, a song that honors our country. And a lot of churches stand to honor the Word of God, and that's a good thing to do, I believe. Now, we don't do that. But I want to make sure that we are honoring the Bible when we're reading it. Maybe we don't perform some outward gesture of honor, but maybe on the inside, when we read the Bible, may we realize what we're reading. Uh, The Bible says we have a more sure word of prophecy. You know, in the silent years, I'm sure there are a lot of people saying, man, we would love to have a prophet from God. They're wanting to hear prophecy. They're wanting to hear a preacher. And we have a more sure word of prophecy. May we respect it. May we honor it when we read it. And so by that I mean, let's not let our minds wonder when we read it. Because honestly, I would rather you have your mind wonder when I get into my opening illustration. And my first point, and my second point, and my third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. <laughs> it's a short sermon, I promise. I would rather your minds wonder then than when we're reading the Bible. So please, as we read 31 verses tonight, I know that's a lot, but arrest your attention and fix it upon what the Bible's saying. John chapter 5, we begin in verse number 1. The Bible says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down a certain season in the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir... I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now, if you know anything about the Gospels, you know, this is a problem. Because Jesus has done this awesome, great thing that everybody should be saying, Man, that was was great, Jesus! And that would be the expected reaction. But don't we realize in the Gospels there was always somebody saying, But this is the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do cool, great things on the Sabbath. And so that's exactly what happens. Verse 10. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was. This is an example, and I learned this today, Could a man be healed and not be saved? The man was healed but had no clue who Jesus was. So yes, in the New Testament, specifically in the Gospels, people could be healed and not necessarily made whole or saved. I see that when Jesus heals the lepers and only a few come back to thank him for it. They probably never really grasped who Jesus was when he healed them. And so this man, he says, I I don't know. He said, take up thy bed. And I, I was I was excited. I didn't even think to get his name. For Jesus had conveyed himself away in verse 13, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, behold, thou art made whole. So now, if you want to ask my opinion, now I believe he's saved. Jesus says, you you believe on me, I'm Jesus, I'm the Son of God, now you're made whole. Because before, physical healing is not being whole. Oh man, I'm a healthy person, but if I did not know Christ, I would have a hole inside my heart. And I would not be whole. But now he knows who Jesus is. And Jesus says, Behold, you weren't whole. Even though you thought you had what you wanted, you really didn't. Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him. Because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Now we begin to get into the sermon of Jesus. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man." Could you imagine the faces of these Orthodox Jews? I mean, before we just had somebody that was doing some things on the Sabbath that he had no business doing. He was breaking the law. He was was just doing things that they did not see fit to do on the Sabbath day. Now, any other day, it's okay if he heals a man. But on the Sabbath day, so that's a bad thing in and of itself. But now Jesus has said words like, I should receive honor even as the Father. And I can just see them in their nice garb and in their linen and in their their high and holy attitudes. You should receive honor as the Father? And I love this. Verse 28. Marvel not at this. Let Let me tell you what I believe he's saying there. What's the big deal? Why are you so amazed? Why is this so surprising to you? Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you so much tonight. And I thank you so much for the opportunity you've given me to stand and preach. Lord, I feel as Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6. I'm just a man of unclean lips. Lord, there's nothing I have to offer these people There is nothing in me that is good or wholesome. Your Word tells me that. But Lord, the Spirit of God can work in the hearts of man. And He can work through men and through Your Word. And You can do something marvelous tonight. And that's exactly what I ask. You've promised to be here. So Lord, I pray that the people would respect You and have faith in You to do something in their heart. And it's in Your Son's name I do pray. And I ask these things. Amen. Now, I can't imagine the urgency, the anger, the emotions that these Orthodox Jews feel after Jesus preaches this very short discourse. I can't imagine how their mindset is. We should have no gods before God the Father. We should have no other gods. After all, that's, that's in Mosaic law. That's God's commandment. We should have no other gods. And, and this heretic is saying, I should receive all the honor that you've given to the Father. That's amazing. Uh, the other day at the youth rally, we, I had so many things going on. We had two different properties operating we had food being served. We had games going on in here. We were setting up bounce houses down at the gymnasium. And so we had a lot going on. And, and honestly, uh, I could not have done it without the help of the staff. I mean, Brother Jim helped. Uh, all my staff in my youth department helped. Uh, Brother Brian Archer helped. And really, if the Lord did some great things. But man, there was a lot of labor that went into it. And not of my labor. It was just... I vomited ideas onto a piece of paper and they saw the paper and made it work. You know, that's, that's how organized I am. So this is what I want you to do. Make it good. And they did. And so that was great. I'm proud of them. Well, while we were up here, Brian Archer was supposed to be down at the gymnasium. And he was supposed to meet uh, the bounce house place, the, the, the people that were giving us the bounce houses. Now, we had ordered four different bounce houses, we had ordered a um, 80-foot course, like an obstacle course. You go through and you dodge all these obstacles, and you race the person next to you, and you go up over this big slide that's 22 feet high, and you slide down, and that was cool. It took up almost the entire length of the gymnasium, is how big that obstacle course was. And we had uh, one of those things where it's called a joust, where you get up on a pedestal, your friend gets up on a pedestal, and you hit them in the face as many times as you can until you knock them off the pedestal. It's basically the king of the mountain on inflatables, and so we had that. We had a big dodgeball dome. Uh, it was about 50 foot long, and the kids could get in there and they could play dodgeball. and the man said, "I don't want more than, say, eight kids in here." And I think I got counted at one time, and there were 28. So we pretty much obeyed that rule. Uh, <laughs> I just added a digit to it. And so that's OK. Uh, we also had one that's a bungee run, and you strap this vest on you or a belt. And you run as fast as you can. And the game's kind of pointless because while you're running, the bungee cord is stretching. And then as far as it stretches, you stop your forward momentum. What do bungee cords do? They rebound. And so you basically fly back. And, and really the fun in that is getting wiped out. I mean, the wrecks is why you watch the kids do that. And so we don't worry. We had them sign waivers. It's, it's not a big deal. <laughs> And so all this happened. Well, I had had just asked Brother Brian. Brother Jim was kind of helping me with the sandwiches because he's our ladies fellowship sandwich guy. I mean, he is the chef of the Joshua Baptist Church. So he's got that down. I had asked Brother Brian to be my eyes and ears down at the gymnasium. And I told Brother Brian, I said, Brian, you are you have all the authority that I would have said, Brian, if you make a decision, I support you 100%. No matter if it's a bad decision or a good decision, I'm behind you. And, 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 and whatever you decide, I'm good with. And so that morning, the bounce houses showed up and they were missing one. And they showed up 45 minutes late. Now, I've got kids that are supposed to be down at the gymnasium at 10 o'clock. And at 845, they show up and they say, wow, I guess we forgot one. They've not got one set up and we got an hour to go and the kids are supposed to be down there. And so Brother Brian did just a tremendous amount of work. I mean, he helped them. He was bossing them around, you know, Brother Brian can get a little bossy at times. And so he, he was telling, you know, do this, do that fix this, fix that. He even made them go back and get the other bounce house and within 10 minutes of the kids being down there, they had it all set up. And I just said, Brother Brian, whatever you decide, you have all the authority and decision-making power that I do. It was almost as if Brian, Brother Brian was my substitute. He was the person that I could send when I could not go. Tonight, I want to show you That's who Jesus is. He is God. When God could not remove Himself from the throne of glory, and He said, Son, go and die for the sins of the whole world. Jesus in this passage tonight is not just claiming authority or power or the fact that He's a prophet. Jesus is claiming equality with God. So tonight we will look at six reasons, six points at which he was claiming equality. First of all, we see in verse 18, Jesus is equal in his preeminence. Verse 18 now, you you see, this is all on the heels of Jesus healing this man. I mean, Jesus has done a great miracle. This man had really no help, no future in getting down to the uh, the the water because he, as he said I have no one to carry me. And Jesus comes down he says you want to be made whole? The man says I, I, I can't. And Jesus does a great miracle. Now they all begin to question Jesus and say you've done this work on the Sabbath day who do you think you are? And Jesus tells them in verse 18 exactly who he is. But Jesus in verse 17 but Jesus answered them, "My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because not only had broken, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was His father. And this is so important that you get this next part: making himself equal with God. Jesus stands up and He says, I am the Son of God. And God is my Father. And He works and I work. We work together. He's the Father, I'm the Son. Jesus is the Son of God. When I was at West Coast, we, y'all have heard a little bit about it maybe. It's called oral examinations. And basically what we do is we go in to a room and two of our professors... Uh, you're randomly selected but two of our professors sit across the table from us and they ask us questions for approximately two hours depending on the speed that we can go at but ab- about two hours is as as fast as you can get out of there and they ask you questions from everything from baptism to uh, uh, you know the church to ordinances to b- uh, bibliology so they ask you what bible you use they ask you everything about you so They just want to make sure that if they're going to put their degree on you, that you believe the way they do. Because they don't have to be accredited. They're not accredited. They're accredited by the Lord. They say, we believe the Bible and we're training people to teach the Bible. So if you don't believe the Bible the way we do, you have no business being one of ours. I think that's respectable. I think that's good. I wasn't very excited about it when I heard that I had to do it, though. And I remember it was kind of unique. On uh, Thursday nights, we had started football playoffs. Uh, My team was by far the best. Not not because of me, but because of some of the guys that I had drafted. And, And we just got fortunate and we had a good team. Not only had we dominated the flag league, but when playoffs started, it was tackle. And my team was built more for tackle than they were flags. We were fast. And unlike me, some of my teammates were big. And I was excited about it. And I remember we went out that Thursday night. We're trying to get into the Turkey Bowl. You know, that sounds real manly. We're trying to get into the Turkey Bowl, which is our Super Bowl. And I remember I was playing middle linebacker and and orals were on Monday. Now, this is Thursday night. Orals were on Monday. I remember I was playing middle linebacker. And I guess God knew that I had not studied at all for orals. (laughs) Mind you, if I don't pass orals, I don't graduate from college. All my tuitions down the drain. And I remember I was playing middle linebacker and and the quarterback decided to do a quarterback run. And I came up and I hit him and I tackled him. And while I was in the air, this thought went through my mind. If I can really hurt this quarterback, he won't run again tonight. And I didn't mean physically hurt him or injure him. But I mean, if I lay the smack down on him now, he won't want the smack laid down on him later. It's I'm a friendly person at heart. I'm a a pacifist. I I, I, I don't really, I'm not violent. And that's why it only happened to me mid-flight. It never happened like that before. But I got him up in the air. I said, if I can hurt him, he won't run again tonight. And that'll change this football game. And I took him and I threw him. In the middle. Yeah. (laughs) And I threw that guy. Now, maybe it was stronger in my mind than it actually was. You know, we tend to be stronger, better, faster in our own minds than we actually are. But, you know, a little white redheaded kid, 140 pounds, sopping wet out there. I'm going to take you down. You know, that was me. And, and I, 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 I tackle him. I'm going to throw him. But as I throw him, it spins my body faster. And so I hit the ground. And my knee hits first out of everything in uh, the side of my knee and my leg uh, at my ankle just slaps against the ground, just. And I felt something pop. And being the man that I am, I got up and played the rest of the game. No, I'm just kidding. I had broken my ankle right above my ankle. Thank the Lord it wasn't in my ankle because I don't want no broken joints. That ain't no good. But I broke the bone right above my ankle. And I spent the next, I I went back and I tried taking a shower. You ever tried taking a shower one-legged? That's not fun. You know, that's not good. And I remember waking up the next morning and I I told my friend, I said, man, I got to go to the emergency room. I really think I broke it. Because I've had sprains, I've had ankle injuries, but nothing like this. We went and they took the x-rays and I did break it. Now for the next little bit, I couldn't go to class, I couldn't go to church, I couldn't go to visitation, soul winning, couldn't do any of that. And so from Saturday to Monday afternoon, I had nothing but uninterrupted study time. And you say that the Lord won't knock you down to help you. He put me in my bed for three days to help me study for orals. I totally believe that. He's like, well, he's too dumb to do it on his own, so I'll have to fix this problem. Well, as I was studying for orals, I was reading, and you know, we get our own verses, we make our own study sheets, we're studying, we're studying, and I was studying all the classic verses for the deity of Christ, which is Christ being God. I was studying all the classic ones, you know, Hebrews 1, 8 we we'll talk about that one here in just a little bit, Colossians chapter 1, John chapter 1. I, I was in all of the common verses But then I read this. And in our minds, when we hear the Son of God, we almost think second place to the Father. Because the Father is obviously stronger. He's obviously bigger. And that's what our minds tell us. But here in this present day passage... As Jesus is telling them, and they're hearing the words coming out of his mouth, there was no mystery as to what Christ was saying. He said, my father works, and I work hitherto. And they said, we're going to kill him, not because he does miracles on the Sabbath day, but because he said he is the son of God, making himself equal with God. Jesus is equal with God. He deserves the preeminence in all things, the Bible says. He was made the head of the church to be preeminent over all things. Hebrews 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 8. If you don't know this verse, I would encourage you to learn this verse. It is when God the Father calls Jesus the Son, God. The Bible says in Hebrews 1, 8, But unto the Son He saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of Thy kingdom. You see, there's no mystery to God the Father who Jesus is. There's no mystery to me who Jesus is. There's no mystery in this book as to who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God, and He deserves all the respect and all the honor and all the admonition that God the Father receives from our lives. He is, friends, equal with God. There's no doubt about it. There's no questioning it. You read this book, it oozes that Jesus is equal with God. Jesus is equal in preeminence. Secondly, we find Jesus is equal in priorities. Verse 18, the Bible says, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. Because not only had, because he not only had broken the Sabbath but said also that God was His Father, making Himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He seeth the Father do. For what things soever He doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Jesus is preaching to these Very, very staunch Pharisees. These Jews, very, very firm in their belief. And he says, everything that God wants me to do, I will do. And anything that the Father doesn't want me to do, I will not do. You remember in the garden when Jesus said, not my will, but thy will. Jesus said, the Father's priorities are my priorities while I'm on earth take your bibles now and turn to john chapter 14 this is such a powerful passage of scripture john chapter 14 and if you don't know this the book of john was written to prove the deity of christ that's why john is so staunch in john chapter one doesn't he start out in the book oh uh, there's no doubt in the beginning was the word And the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Bible goes on to tell us down in the chapter that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld uh, His glory as the only begotten Son of the Father. There's no doubt who it's talking about. The Word was Jesus Christ. And John protects that. He goes through great straits to protect the deity of Christ. In John chapter 14, verses 5 through 11, we see... Really a great passage take place. The Bible says, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's a powerful verse. That's a good verse. Verse 7, If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know Him, and have seen Him. Now, he says those words, but it's almost like it doesn't register. Because right here in verse 8, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father. And it sufficeth us. He says, Lord, all we want to do is we want to see the glory of the Father. Lord, show it to us. Reveal it to us. And and that's a good thing to desire. Philip says, all we want to see is the glory of the Father. Verse 9. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me Jesus looks at Philip, and Philip has a great desire. He's wanting to see God like he's never seen Him before. And, and I've prayed prayers like that. Lord, reveal Yourself to me. Show me Your greatness. Please, Lord, come through for me. Show me greatness. And, and, and Philip's standing in the presence of Jesus Christ. He looks at Jesus and he says, All I want to see is I want to see a little bit more God. Yeah. And Jesus looks at Philip and he says... How long have I been with you? How long have you walked these streets and traveled the same roads that I have? And Philip, there's some question to you as to wanting to see the Father. Philip, look at me for I am, the, I am in the Father and the Father in me. Everything I do is to glorify the Father. The Father and I are one. You see, Jesus didn't have His own priorities. He did not have his own ideals or his own goals when he came to this earth. His goal was to die. His goal was to come and to hang on a cross for worthless mankind because his Father, and yea, even himself, loved this old rotten world more than we could ever fathom. That was Jesus' goal. Not that He could come and that we would worship Him. Not that He could come and that we, He would receive glory and honor while He was on this earth. His goal was to come, to lay down His life, to pick up lost mankind. His priorities were the priorities of the Father. George Whitfield said, Jesus was God and man in one person, that God and man might be happy together again. You see, at the fall of the garden, we were separated from the Lord. We no longer had the fellowship, the intimate uh, time with the Lord as Adam and Eve were able to walk daily throughout the garden with Jesus Christ. Our sin alienated us from the Father. And what Jesus came to do, and the priority of the Father, was for the veil at the temple to be torn in two. So that we could have access. And the Bible tells us that we could come boldly before the throne of grace. Because of the high priest, Jesus Christ. His priority was restore our lost race. Brother Sean's song alluded to, to, to that tonight. To restore Adam's race. It was to restore our fellowship with the Father was the priority of Christ coming to this old world. So we see Jesus is equal in preeminence. Jesus was equal in priorities. They had the same goals. They had the same plans. Verse 3, and this gets good as if it wasn't good already, talking about Jesus. You know what I mean? Jesus is equal in power. Look in verse 21. Verse 21 says, For as the Father raiseth up the dead... And quickeneth them, even so the son quickeneth whom he will. Now today at lunch, my brother-in-law and I were talking a little bit about Abraham. And we were talking about the amount of faith that it must have taken for Abraham to take his son up to the mountain, to the altar before God, and in obedience go to slay his son knowing that God could raise him from the dead. What's unique about that, and what me and Craig were talking about, is that up until that point in history, nobody had ever been risen from the dead. You see, how did Abraham know that God could even do that? He didn't have Moses' law. He didn't have the Word of God. That came after Abraham. And God told Abraham, Abraham... I want you to go slaughter your only son, the one that I promised you, the one that I gave you, the miracle child that I've given you. I want you to go slay him on that mountain. The faith it must have taken. And now we fast forward so many years to Jesus preaching this sermon to these Orthodox Jews. And he says, I can raise people from the dead. These Orthodox Jews look back at Abraham almost like a god. He is their father. He is the founding father of their nation. And and to say that he was like a George Washington to to them would not do him justice. for, For it was Abraham who was chosen by God. Who was given the covenant of God that gave them favor of God. It was all back on Abraham. And they looked at Abraham. Abraham, Father Abraham, you are are awesome. You are amazing. And and we're thankful that God chose you. And it all went down from Abraham to them. And now Jesus utters these words. Even I have power to raise someone from the dead. I can take someone up. The Father takes people up. I can do the same. Could, Could you imagine... He's saying that he had the same power that God had when Abraham believed that Isaac could be raised from the dead. I I could not imagine the Orthodox Jews' minds as they're, they're hearing him say this. Did you know Jesus does have power over the grave? Did you know that Jesus was at creation Uh, John 1 tells us He is eternal. Uh, Colossians 1 tells us, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. The passage goes on to tell us, And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church. There's no clue or mystery as to who Colossians is speaking of. It's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. He is, uh, consi- uh, Everything by him, everything consists. He created everything and upholds everything by the word of his power. Amen. And Jesus says, I can take up life. You see, Jesus not only had power over the grave for others, like when he called Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Not only did he do that, but he himself won victory over the grave. John 10, verse 17 and 18, the Bible says, There doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. Now, it was some years ago, immediately after September 11th, uh, 2001. It was then everybody had tuned their minds to Fox News and CBS News. and, And at that moment, I don't know if you remember it, but I remember it. You know, we all have our favorite news station, you know, for most conservatives, it's Fox because they're fair and unbiased, even though they're kind of biased towards the conservative. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and CNN, they're a little more liberal and NBC. Uh, they're just kind of weird and annoying. But, uh, you know, you have your favorite. But at that time in our nation, there was no favorites. There was, you know, a liberal channel and a conservative channel could play the same video clips and it'd break all of our hearts the same. Our nation was mourning at that time. I remember every sign in the community had God bless America or pray for America. I'm talking about secular businesses like Dairy Queen. And there's nothing more secular than Dairy Queen. And they had pray for America, God bless America. I remember as at that time we began to listen to a lot of news talk. Generally, 820. And you know, I was just a very young kid at that time, but I remember all these things very vividly. And I remember one day they were debating how they were going to uh, kind of attack those who had done this to our nation. I remember hearing them speak of who it was and. And my mom was right on the money. I mean, she told me, I believe it was that day or the next day, who it was. There was no doubt. You know, our nation was saying, well, we don't know who it is. But my mom, she was, you know, she's Detective Sherlock. She knows. And, and, and she really did. I mean, she was, she was right on the money. She knew it was Al-Qaeda. She knew it was Osama bin Laden and all those other people. And, and I remember hearing these words on the radio. How are we going to fix it? We're going to have to cut the head off the snake. And as a young kid, now I, I've seen the heads chopped off of plenty of snakes in my life. But as a young kid, I didn't understand the term. And I can remember the stop sign that we were at. I can remember the vehicle I was in and the parent who was driving. And I said, What does cutting the head off the snake mean? And it simply meant that we were going to take out the leader of Al Qaeda. And if we could take out the leader, then the, the forces would disband. That was the strategy. And that was what WBAP, we've got to cut the head off the snake. We've got to kill their leader so that, so that they can never recover. I want to remind you that it was not more than 2,000 years ago that they tried that same strategy with us. Jesus came to this earth. And you know what these Pharisees said? We've got to cut the head off the snake. We've got to kill their leader. And if we kill their leader, there's no way they'll ever be recovered. They'll disband. They'll, They'll all move on. We'll cut the head off the snake and it'll all subsist. It'll all vanish. And they did. But can I just say, on the third day, it didn't matter what they did. Can I just say that even the best plan that Satan and these Pharisees and these Jews could have, saying crucify Him, crucify Him, the best idea fell flat when it came to the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I lay down my life, but I can take it up again. It's an amazing thing, the power of Jesus Christ. What's even more amazing is that He's on our side. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. In this world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus is on our side and the power of Jesus is so amazing. He's equal with God in power. Fourthly, he's equal in praise. Looking now verse 23. We're... Almost done. We have a few more points. We're almost there. Verse 23. Jesus has said, I've got power. I've got preeminence. My priorities are the same. Verse 23. That all men should honor the son. Even as they honor the father. He that honoreth not the son, honoreth not the father which hath sent me. Several times in the Bible, Jesus is found, and, and really, He does a great miracle. And this is kind of one of those times in John, John chapter 5 earlier, when He does the miracle, He performs the miracle, and He kind of just vanishes. I remember in Luke chapter 8, He heals the maniac of Gadara. And and, and the maniacs, uh, after he's healed, he's, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to serve you in my life. I want to go where you go. And he says, just return home and tell, tell everybody about me. Jesus almost at times while he was on this earth, deflected glory and deflected worship to the Lord. But there were times when Jesus received the worship of man. Nobody else can receive worship save God alone. Nobody else is worthy of worship save God alone. Matthew 8, the Bible tells us of a leper. It tells us of a leper whom Jesus healed. And it begins to tell us how the leper fell on his face and worshipped Jesus Christ as if he were God. The Bible tells us in Matthew 14, Jesus steps out on the bow of a boat calms the storm and all the disciples that were on the boat bow and worship Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in John chapter nine, verse 38, that a blind man has given back his sight and that Jesus receives worship from that man. Jesus is worthy of worship. The Bible says in Philippians two, verses nine through 11, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. And given Him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and in things of earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ one day will have every man that's ever been made, every man that's ever been born and died, every man will sit, whether president, whether peasant, will sit and bow at His feet. Because Jesus is Lord of all the earth. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Who is it that Colossians tells us created the worlds? Who was it that in Genesis spoke the worlds into existence? It was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, being equal with God, having the power of God, standing up and saying, let there be light. And it was. Jesus is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our admonition and our worship. And right here He says, If you don't worship me, you don't worship the Father. There's a lot of false religions that have a skewed idea of who Jesus is. And if you don't have an accurate idea who Jesus is, there's no way you can have an accurate idea of who the Father is. Jesus is equal in praise. Let's move on. Fifthly, Jesus is equal in promise. Now in verse 24 we find... What Jesus came to this earth for. It was to do the will of the Father that had sent Him. And He says these words, verily, verily, or truly, truly. He's trying to get their attention. He says, all this sermon, listen up here, I say unto you. He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Jesus, the Bible tells us that it, this way, There is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. We've already read once tonight, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is making no bones about it. He stands in front of these Jews and He says... You believe my word, I am with the Father. I am here to do the will of my Father. And if you believe on the one that sent me and our priorities, you can be saved. There's no bones about it. He's saying, you want to have eternal life? Eternal life is only found in me. The Bible says it in John 3 this way. For God so loved the world that he sent uh, his son, uh, for God so loved the world that he sent his son, uh, it tells us that, uh, he did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus did not come to make us feel bad for our sin. Jesus did not come to, uh, die on a cross to make some beautiful art. Jesus came to give life to all those that would believe on his name. Jesus was here because of the promise of God. The promise found caught in that bush when Abraham was going to slay Isaac. The promise found in the beautiful picture of the Passover lamb. And the blood placed upon the doorposts. The promise of God was that He would one day send His Son. And it's all throughout the Old Testament. He was equal in promise. Oswald Chambers said this, until we know Jesus, God is merely a concept. And we can't have faith in Him. But once we hear Jesus say, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, we immediately have something real. And our faith is limitless. You see, there's no way that you can be the Christian you ought to be unless you have the relationship you ought to have with Jesus Christ. Amen. A relationship of love, a relationship of restoration, a relationship that says we are not worthy, but by God's favor, he has made us acceptable in his sight. Amen. Your relationship is one of promise. And how many of us in here can attest tonight? We don't deserve the relationship we have, Amen. Right. but God and in his infinite mercy sent his son to die for us. Now, finally, we move on. Jesus is equal in proceeding. Look in verse 27. We're almost done. This is the final point. And I'll be honest with you. I learned something in this study. I learned in verse 27. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also. Because he is the son of man. I learned that God the Father will not be the one judging. And I looked at it all throughout the Bible. This is not the only place Jesus is the one Amen. judging. Amen. Now, knowing that we understand the Trinity, we understand that everything Jesus does, God's priorities, we understand all that. But the Bible makes it clear that God would not be the one judging. He would judge the world through His Son. That's what Jesus says. He's given me the power to execute judgment. Acts 17 verse 31 says, Because he hath appointed at a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Jesus was raised from death to life to judge the world in righteousness. Romans 2, verse 16 says, In the day whom God shall judge the secrets of man by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. I'll be honest with you. I learned that God the Father was not the one doing the judgment. I learned that it was Jesus Christ whom God hath ordained and given Him authority to execute judgment. That's a unique thing. You see, we study the Bible tonight. And we go all throughout this passage hearing things like I and the Father have the same priorities. The Father hath given me the power. The Father hath given me the power to take up life, to, to heal. He's, he's given me the power. We read this scripture and we look at it and we see that Jesus is God. I don't think there's any way someone could sit in here tonight save a blaspheming atheist that could say, the Bible does not make plain, Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. But can I just say, if that doesn't affect your heart, Amen. knowing it here yes. makes no difference. That's right. Amen. Can I say that knowing Tylenol fixes a headache does not alleviate a headache? Accepting the Tylenol. Receiving the Tylenol. You see what I'm saying is. You can know without a shadow of a doubt. That God hath sent His Son Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. Every bit equal with God as can be. And it not change your life. There's too many Christians not in this auditorium tonight to say that I believe our church wholeheartedly believes that Jesus is God. There's too many homes unwilling to accept help for everyone to believe that Jesus is who He said He was. You see, Jesus came to this earth and died for us And a lot of us have accepted that payment and that gift. But is it impacting you? Because the story that I just read never gets old. It never tarnishes in value. It doesn't rust. It doesn't corrupt. Knowing that Jesus is God changes people. Now I challenge you tonight to ask yourself, are you being changed? The Bible puts it this way. Are you being transformed into the likeness of Christ? Because if you really believe He is who He said He was, it would make a difference.